Good evening. Well, it's good to see you all here tonight. Well, here we are on Good Friday. This is our first Good Friday service together. And, you know, the idea of Good Friday is always intriguing as we are remembering the, the death of Jesus and the idea of Good Friday is kind of provokes some interesting thoughts. Same with the idea of the Passion, which is known as the final uh, week leading up to the cross. And it's like, why would the word Passion be put alongside of the death of Jesus? And I know Daniel Webster and his definition to explain what was most descriptive in that word, the Passion, that's what it was. It was that week leading up to Christ's death. And for some reason, that's not where our minds go. When we think of passion, you know, we think of soap operas or something. I don't know. I don't know if there is one called passion. I, I don't watch soap operas. Honest. Um, unless, like, Lost is a soap opera now. But anyway, that's another subject. But something about the death of Jesus Christ and our perspective is really important because depending on how you look at this depends on what you see in it. When the movie The Passion came out, there were those who were against it. I remember going to Wales. There's one guy I talked to. He said, oh, that's just like a snuff film. You know, it's just brutal. But yet to some people, it was something that just was so moving and touching. But depending on what you see and where your perspective is depends on what you are going to come away with that. And turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Because I want to try and capture this contradiction, if you will, or this dichotomy of Good Friday and why it is good, and try and bring that home to our hearts. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Solomon writes, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. In this discourse, there's one little clue, and I don't know, did you catch it? Something that kind of glues all these, 
these paradoxes together. And it's verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Solomon, in his wisdom, is bringing about the incredible ability that God has to take the extremes and in each extreme and each point be able to make something beautiful in that time. And the idea of something beautiful is something not something that Solomon holds alone. It's something that the Psalms talk about as well. In fact, turn to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, and I'm going to start at verse 6. It starts off and it says, Splendor and majesty are before him, before God. And that word splendor, depending on the translation, is also the word beauty. So, beauty and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor. There it is again, the beauty of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And here the psalmist is talking about the beauty of the Lord and he talks about the glory. And the idea of glory is something that is awe-inspiring, something that is overwhelming, something that just puts you back. And he's saying that strength and glory are his. Worship the Lord in the, the beauty of his holiness. And then something that we don't usually ascribe to beauty or we don't think of when we think of beauty, he says, tremble before him all the earth. And when I think of the word tremble, I usually think of afraid. I think of tremble, I think of what happens, you know, when you're afraid and you're scared. You know, my dog trembles when there's a clap of thunder. You know, he's trembling because he's afraid. But here the psalmist is saying that God is so beautiful that it will cause you to tremble. And that in every circumstance, Proverbs says, he is able to make something beautiful in its time. Are we ascribing these things to God? Are we giving him this place? If you turn to Psalm 27, or Psalm, yeah, 29, excuse me. Let's start at Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. This is David. David continues in this theme and he says, Ascribe or give to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory. There it is again. And strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. There it is again. The beauty of his holiness. And just a couple of psalms previously in chapter 27, verse 4, it says, One thing I ask of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The beauty of the Lord. The one who is able to make all things beautiful in their time. David, the warrior. David, the giant killer. 
David who goes out and kills the bear and the lion in the spare time when he's watching sheep, you know. He's able to, to go to war and conquer thousands and then he comes back and plays the harp as well. David the sensitive killer, you know. This guy of incredible extremes talks about one thing I desire and that's to see the beauty of the Lord. Have you ever seen something that's just incredible, that captures, that personifies beauty to you? That, that makes you just in awe? Maybe it's a sunrise. I haven't seen too many sunrises, at least not on purpose. Usually I, I see the sunrise because I haven't gone to sleep yet, you know? And I say, oh, that's why people get up early in the morning. I should film one and watch it in the afternoon when I get up. But I've seen lots of sunsets. You know, they're kind of like sunrises, only on the other side of the earth. I'm just think of them going in reverse, you know. And in fact, some of the sunsets we have here in Southern California are incredible. Like nothing else anywhere in the world because of all the pollutants and things we've put in the air. There's incredible color and just, it's a beautiful thing. But sometimes those things, you'll see them and they'll just capture your attention. When I think of beauty and just awe-inspiring moments that capture my memory are when my children were born. And that's one of those, again, contradictory things because it was a bloody situation. It was a cesarean section and I'm not one prone to hospitals. I mean, I don't, it's not a place I like the smell of or to go to and the thought of placenta doesn't even, you know, it just doesn't bring any thought of beauty to my mind. But that moment when our first two were born, I was in awe and I don't think I've ever been so encaptured to something so beautiful in my whole life. Even though my wife might not think so, she never looked so beautiful to me in my whole life. And it was just so empowering and so captivating that I was just exhausted afterwards. <laughs> Who said, oh, shush? <laughs> it was a woman. <laughs> but it's something that just, my attention my awareness was just so alert to so many things, except the, the airline that was feeding her. I was stepping on that. The doctor told me to get off, but I was just so intent on what was happening. And when they brought out the, those boys and when I got to actually hold them and they were all slimy and, and, and wrinkly, you know, it was just the most beautiful thing. Incredible. And each of my children, it was the same thing. It was just overwhelming. Just a powerful experience. I remember one time when one of my boys, he's probably 10 years old, and we went into church, and there was a family that we knew, and they had a couple of young ladies uh, who were in high school, very pretty girls. And I remember my son, all of a sudden, he goes, wow, she's pretty. And he just 
responded. I don't think he was aware of what he said, you know, and I kind of smiled and I, I know what you're thinking, son, but someday you're going to have to keep that to yourself, you know. <laughs> because I, I know that experience. It's happened to me once in my life. There, there is so much about the beauty of God's creation that can capture our attention, capture our hearts, that cause us to respond in some ways. And John talks about Jesus. Turn to the Gospel of John. Because as we're talking about beauty and as we're trying to capture the beauty of what's taking place, John writes in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 10, he starts off and he says, He, speaking of Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And, and so John is saying, the one who created the splendor of what we can see, who created everything, yet the world that was made by him did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He goes on and he says, The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. There's that word again. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here we see there are some who did not recognize, but those who believe in him, who put their faith in him, those, we saw the glory, the beauty of who he was. We were able to see that majesty, the one full of grace and truth. The one who created all things. The one who could take your breath away. The one that could capture your heart's attention fully. But some didn't recognize him. And that's where that perception and your perspective comes into play. Because 600 years previously, Isaiah wrote about Jesus coming. In Isaiah 53, and we might as well jump there as well. And I promise this will be the last place we, we jump to. In Isaiah 53, the prophet writes, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. How could it be the one who was so glorious could come in to his own and they not recognize it. How could they come into this place? The ultimate expression of who beauty was could step into this world, but the world would not recognize it. 
You know, coffee is a, a big thing for me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I grew up, you know, my mom actually, I'll blame her. Um, she used to give me coffee with cream and sugar, you know, and so I used to drink that, and I, I loved that. I guess from early taste, I started developing this palate for coffee. And, and then when I started drinking better coffee, you know, when I went to Starbucks and I started finding out there's a Colombian roast and an Ethiopian roast, and I started getting to be a snob, you know, about coffee, and I could detect, you know, when a, a roast had been overcooked and, like, this one's a little bit bitter and this one's strong. Going back to McDonald's, just wasn't the same. I just couldn't do it. And I know there's some people that say, oh, you know, McDonald's is better or Winchell's is better. And it's like, yeah, you haven't tasted or, or become aware of good coffee. <laughs> because there's a difference. Oh, yeah, it took a little while for my palate to get used to it. And it was stronger than the other coffees. But that strength and that power and that coffee is what I became addicted to. And every now and then I see someone coming out of an AM, PM, and I think, is there any hope for them, God? <laughs> Do they not understand? How is it they don't see? And the same thing was true even with, with meat and food. I used to work at a Sizzler restaurant. And I was a busboy, started off as a busboy, and I'd clean the tables. And one of the benefits is when it was time to eat, you could ask for whatever you wanted back then, and they would cook whatever it is you wanted. And I wanted the filet mignon because I could get whatever I wanted, so that's what I want. And I remember the, the cook saying, well, how do you want that cooked? And I said, well, well done, because who wants a ste steak poorly done? You know, I want it well done. <laughs> and that's how we just knew that's how I used to eat it. And he said, no, you can't have Mignon, well done. I said, sure I can. Just leave it on there longer and it'll be well done. He goes, no, that's not. The, th the thicker steak has to be at least medium. In fact, medium rare is the best way to taste that. He's like, oh, that's kind of bloody, isn't it? He goes, tell you what, I'll cook one for you medium rare. If you don't like it, you can have one well done. I'm like, sure, two steaks, no problem. I'll go for it. In high school, I could handle that. And so he, he brought out this filet mignon, and it was medium rare, and it was there bloody, and, and you cut through, and it's, you know, kind of icky, you know, I wasn't used to this. And I took a bite of it, and it just melted in my mouth. And the, the juice had this flavor in it. And God spoke to me at that time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he changed my life. <laughs> All these years, I've been eating steaks well done. And Handel's Messiah was singing in my mouth as, as I was just enjoying this. And you see, my, my taste buds had become so used to just eating something a certain way that I didn't recognize the flavor that was really there to be had. I remember one time my daughter, when she was real young, we cooked up steak and barbecued it and we put it on her plate and after she was done eating she goes mmm can I get some more of this good chicken you know because all she had known her life was chicken and she like what is this chicken and it's like that's expensive or chicken you know 
your, your taste buds get used to something, and, and when something new comes, it's like if you don't, if you're not used to it, you don't recognize it. And could it be that our lives are in such a state that when majesty, glory, when God comes and steps in, that we are so used to the swill of this earth that we don't recognize him. We don't see him for who he is. There is nothing in him that we would recognize him as being glorious. You know, every year they come out with the ten most attractive people. And every year I get further from that goal. <laughs> Jesus wouldn't have made that top ten list either. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Why not? The God of glory stepping into creation. How could we not desire? How could we not recognize him? Well, we've been trained. We've been dulled by this world to what we think beauty is and what things are really important to us. And we've been numbed in our hearts so that when majesty is in our midst, we can't even see it. But it's just like God, that when we don't recognize his beauty, he doesn't say, look at me, I am beautiful. He allows us to, to make him uglier still. In verse 4, it goes on and it says, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, and yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Even though we didn't recognize him, he became even uglier still. He was bruised. He was beaten. They tore his flesh. They, they pummeled him. They said he was disformed. He couldn't be recognized even as a man. And when we saw him and there was nothing to, of beauty that we should see him, we don't recognize that what he was taking upon himself and the ugliness, the things that we would see and see him as, ah, oh, that's disgusting, well, all the things he took upon himself, that was us. So when we saw Jesus in that state, what we were really looking at is ourselves and our condition and the blackness of our hearts and the corruption of sin. And it's just like God to take a, a symbol of death like the cross and turn it into a symbol of of hope. It's just like God to take what is black and take our jealousy and our wrath and our anger and our lying and our conniving and all the things that are just wicked within us. It's just like him to take those things upon himself and say, I will take what is wicked in you so that you can take what is beautiful in me.
and become my righteousness. Do we recognize the beauty? Because in his time, he's made even what was most despised, what is most beautiful. Do we see it? Do we recognize the King of glory, the beauty of his holiness? the majesty of who he is. Because it began there on the cross. And it was fulfilled on the resurrection, which is what we're going to talk about Sunday. But what we remember tonight, what we think about tonight, is how that majesty was revealed. And I hope that we can see why it's called Good Friday. I hope we understand the passion of God to reach us. Because whatever you think God is, if you think he's unjust, if you think you know he's distant, whatever, you cannot say that he doesn't care because the cross says, I care. And so on this day that we remember... I hope we will see clearly the King of Glory, what He has done and what makes Him so beautiful. And that we might tremble. We might be in awe. Just as I, I held those babies in my arms and I was just like, oh, this is the most amazing thing. We'd be able to see the King of Glory, what He's done for us, we'd say this is the most amazing thing and it would capture our hearts the thought that God would be for us in such a way that he would be greater than our biggest fears and stronger than our weakness and embrace us it's beautiful it's truly beautiful let's pray <clears throat> Lord Father I can't speak for anyone else regarding what this means to me. But Lord, I know who I am. I know my weakness. I know my darkness. I know the corruption in my own life. And it just makes sense that you had to deal with my sin. It was necessary. And I can see it on the cross clearly. And God, I am thankful 
that my hope is not in my ability to look good, to act good, to be beautiful. My hope is in the beauty that you give to me because of your death and how you have made even a corrupted life like mine beautiful in your time. Lord, I know you're not finished with me yet. You're not finished with any of us yet. You've begun a work and you are continuing that work. I guess, Lord, my desire tonight is that we would recognize the truth of who we are, the truth of what you've done, and that our eyes would not be blind any longer to see your majesty, your glory, your beauty. Father, that we would say, you're beautiful. Thank you. And I pray we would do that even tonight. I hope tonight you recognize that there is someone who can make what you're going through and what is happening in your life beautiful. There's only one person who can. The one who was able to turn the cross, the instrument of death, and make it a symbol of hope and life and beauty is able to make beautiful in your life what you are going through or what you will go through if you put your hope and trust in Him. He alone is able to make all things beautiful in their time. And so I pray you would go to Him when you face something that is too much for you, that you remember that He is able to make it beautiful. That you would go to him because he alone can do that. God bless you guys. Hope to see you Sunday. Um, have a great good Friday. I pray the Lord would capture your hearts with his beauty and his majesty. God bless you guys. Hang out. Have, enjoy some coffee and some time together.